and give you all a warm welcome to our service tonight. We'll begin by singing Psalm 21 and sing psalms. O Lord, in your strength, <coughs> how the King is exultant, how great is his joy in the triumphs you bring. To him you have granted his heart's deepest longing. You answered the plea from the lips of the King. We'll sing the whole psalm. <coughs> o Lord, in your strength, how the King is exultant, how great is his joy in the triumphs you bring. To him you have granted his heart's deepest longing. You answered the plea from the lips of the king. You welcomed him richly with blessings of goodness. A crown of fine gold you have placed on his head. He asked you for life and you gave him it freely. Abundance of days that his years not end. Through triumphs you gave his renown is exalted and you have bestowed on him splendor and grace. You surely have granted him blessings eternal. You filled him with joy by the light of your face. For the king puts his trust in the Lord high above, unshaken he stands through the Lord steadfast love. Your hand will lay hold upon all your opponents, your right hand will seize all the foes in your path. You'll set them ablaze with your glorious appearance. You'll swallow them up in the fire of your wrath. From earth you will utterly wipe out their offspring. They plot wicked schemes, but will never prevail. Because when you aim with your bow the ready, you'll make them turn back and their courage will fail. Be exalted, O Lord, in the strength of your arm. We'll praise your great name to the sound of awesome. <clears throat> Shall we pray? 
The Lord, we give you thanks that we have our meeting tonight. We ask for your blessing to be given to us. We confess that we're unworthy and undeserving of your blessing, but then the only humans that do receive your blessing are unworthy. And therefore, it's, <clears throat> it's not really a great discovery for us to confess that we are undeserving, but it's important that we do feel it. And therefore, Lord, we uh, pray that you would be showing us uh, just how amazing your grace is, that <clears throat> you condescend to bless us abundantly in a spiritual way. We pray, Lord, that you would give us out of your storehouse. And when we think about your storehouse, we're just speaking about yourself. So we pray, Lord, that you would give to us of your peace and of your love and of your joy, and that we would um, be refreshed by um, having a personal encounter with the living God. You would describe yourself as a fountain, a fountain overflowing constantly and infinitely. And therefore, Lord, we do pray that you would um, give to us in our hearts uh, uh, experience that would enable us to taste and see that God is good. Lord, we pray that you would remind us that you are the God who pardons sin. Uh, what a great blessing that is to be forgiven by the judge of all. We thank you too that you don't merely deal with us as a judge, but you also deal with us as a physician, as it were, and as part of the experience of pardon, you also deal with our defilement, uh, the things that mar our hearts and minds, our spirits. We pray, Lord, that we would be aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that he uh, cleanses us, that through that we are washed, um, by the water of your word and the hand of your spirit. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be uh, cleansing us in that way in our souls. Lord, we thank you that uh, Jesus is the mediator between us and yourself, that he can place, as it were, one hand on us, and reveal everything about us to you. And he can also put one hand, as it were, on yourself and reveal everything to us that is in you. And therefore, Lord, we pray that we would experience something of the things of Christ being conveyed to us. And as we think about his ascension, an event which in itself happened centuries ago, but as far as its effects are concerned, it's currently ongoing. And its effects too are uh, experienceable, that we can have the benefit of the Savior's uh, ex exaltation, that his intercession uh, which is uh, tied in with his exaltation, 
that we would experience the benefits that flow from it as we gather here tonight. We pray that what we get from your word would help us in the coming days as we face whatever uh, life uh, brings us. We have no real idea at the moment what it will do, but we pray that you would um, just prepare us for whatever is coming, whether it's mundane or whether it's important. We just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, give us the grace to go into the future, uh, leaning upon yourself and trusting you to work everything together for our good. We pray you remember those of us who have got big burdens with their health or in other ways, and we ask that you would enable them all to cast all of them on yourself. We need your power to do that. Um, it's not within our abilities uh, to cast our burdens on you. Uh, the smallest one we have is far too big for us to lift. But we thank you by your Holy Spirit. You can enable us to cast our cares upon the Lord. And we pray you would enable us to do so, uh, to cast them fully and to do so knowing that you are able to deal with them. So Lord, remember us in our needs, whether it's concern about our health or bereavements or other aspects of life that you would draw near and bless those who need your grace in whatever way they do. We just ask you, Lord, to provide it. We ask you, Lord, to remember your cause in our country and indeed throughout the world. And we know, despite appearances, that your kingdom is far bigger today than it ever was, and that all over the world there are millions and millions of people gathering on this your own day uh, to praise you for sending Jesus to be the Savior and for bringing salvation. And as your word said, it will be brought to the ends of the earth, and we can see that happening throughout the world today. And we pray your blessing on all your people, whatever they are. We thank you. The Lord knows them that are his, and you know where each of them is at this precise moment. And we just pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And remember your suffering church in particular, we pray, for those who are facing uh, hardships of various kinds because they believe in you. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen them. There are many other things that we should bring to you in our prayers. And we ask you, O oh Lord, that you would uh, answer them all, whatever they are, uh, far above what we can ask or think. So remember us, Lord, we pray, and bless us, we ask, for Christ's sake. Amen. We now can now sing Psalm 110 from Sing Psalms, and again we'll stand to sing. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your foes a stool on which your feet may stand. We'll sing the whole psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And may God bless that reading. We can now sing from the Scottish Psalter and Psalm 68 verses 16 to 20. Why do you leap, ye mountains high? This is the hill where God desires to dwell. Yea, God in it, for I will make abode. We'll stand and sing verses 16 to 20. Why do ye leap, ye Oh 
think about verse 50 to 53. I'll just reread them. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Normally, um, when an important event in a person's life is described, a lot of words are used to describe it. And the length and the range of the number of words enables the reader to assess the importance of what has just been said. If we were to judge the ascension of Jesus by the number of words that are said about it, we might not regard it as very important. Because in this chapter, ten words were used to describe it. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. We may want to ask ourselves, why are we not given any more information? Uh, and I suppose one reason for that is that we wouldn't be able to understand it. A few years later, when Paul was caught up to the third heaven, which is the same place as where Jesus went to here in verse 51. And Paul 
most caught up and heard unspeakable things which he described as not being lawful for someone to utter. I suppose in connection to that verse we would say, who made it unlawful? Or what makes it unlawful? And maybe the idea of the word is more like what is suitable and what is what are we capable of appreciating? So all, all we're told about the ascension in a sense here is what they saw. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. It's like watching somebody go into a building. We can see them walking along a street and opening the door, and that's it. What happens on the other side of the door, we're not told. So, the ascension, despite the number of words, was obviously very important. After all, Jesus has said it would happen, and therefore it had to happen in order for his words to be verified. He had also prayed about it. As we know in John 17, he asked the Father that he would once again experience the glory he had with him before the world was. The, the <clears throat> exaltation or the ascension of Jesus is all part of his glorification. Jesus' um, life can be just divided into two, his humiliation and his exaltation. His humiliation, well, that was his life on earth. And he came down to earth, that's the commencement of it, became a man, humbled himself, lived where he did in this world, where none of it was done in a very important place or any palace or that, apart from his uh, trial at the end. And even when he was tried, he was humiliated and then went to the cross, further humiliated. Then he was buried, further humiliated. When we think that he is the source of life, there, there he is in a tomb. But then his exaltation started. And I suppose uh, we admire someone whose exaltation starts from the very bottom. If somebody is halfway up the ladder when the process begins, then, well, we're not too surprised for such a person to get to the top. But if somebody hasn't even reached the bottom rung of the ladder, and such an individual gets up to the top, then we are astonished, perhaps, by the, the degree of the ascent. But when Jesus was humiliated, well, how far below the bottom rung was he? 
He came from there and was highly exalted, as Paul says elsewhere. So it's very right uh, for us to focus on the ascension of Jesus. But as we read these verses, verses 50 to 53, it is rather interesting that the focus is not really on Jesus. The focus is actually on the disciples. All we have to do is look at the number of times the words they and them occur in it. He led them out as far as Bethany and he blessed them and while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and they returned with great joy and were continuing the temple blessing God. So it looks to me as if the focus of Luke here as he comes to the end of his gospel is something like Look at these disciples. And of course, since he had written the gospel for the benefit of disciples, uh, we know that from the start of the gospel where he talks about a man, Theophilus, and says he has written the book for the benefit of Theophilus. And of course, the word Theophilus just means lover of God. I think he's saying to Theophilus, and any other disciple that chooses to read this account, he is saying to them that the life and death of Jesus produces disciples such as those who are described in verses 50 to 53. And if the only thing that has been said about them is what is said in verses 50 to 53, then it may not surprise us too much that they are given these great blessings. But when we remember that all of them were basically, I suppose to put it roughly, they were a bunch of failures. We might be rather startled to see that they are identified here at the end as being very important. But maybe Theophilus had said to Luke, how can I live a life like these disciples? And the answer that Luke would give is we all can live it because of where Jesus is. It's not just that we all can live it because of what Jesus has done. Which is true, obviously, but we all can live it because of where Jesus is at the moment. So I'd like us to think about four things connection to the ascension of Jesus on this particular day. There's the privilege that was given to them. He led them out as far as Bethany. Then it's his prayer for them. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And then there's his parting from them. While he blessed them, he parted from them. 
and was carried up into heaven. And then fourthly, there is what we could describe there in verses 52 and 53 as their pleasure. So it's their privilege, the prayer for them, the parting from Jesus, and then the pleasure that the disciples had as they worshipped him and returned with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So the privilege that they had. He led them out as far as Bethany. I suppose Bethany was a place that was very dear to Jesus. And certainly the incidents that are uh, described about it uh, point to him enjoying being there when he was here in this world. It was his place where his friends lived. I mean, he, he describes Lazarus in a very beautiful way, doesn't he? When he says to his disciples one day about him, our friend Lazarus. Not just your friend, but our friend. And he obviously loved to be in, the, in that particular place, the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And of course there he showed his great power. Obviously he showed his great power when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But you know, that wasn't the greatest miracle that happened to Lazarus. If that was the only miracle that Lazarus ever experienced, what good would it do him now? But in addition to his physical uh, resurrection, marvelous though that event is, Lazarus had undergone from Jesus a spiritual resurrection, which if we want to grade power, his spiritual resurrection was far more powerful than his physical one. Indeed, Lazarus, despite having the physical resurrection of Jesus, would die again. That physical display of power that he experienced didn't stop Lazarus from subsequently dying. But the spiritual resurrection that Lazarus experienced, nothing could bring that to an end again. Of course, Lazarus will yet experience this second resurrection. But he hasn't experienced it yet. But anyway, that was the place where Jesus showed his great power. Bethany. And despite the fact of him showing it, it didn't produce that many positive outcomes. Indeed, those who saw it later on wanted to kill Lazarus again. It didn't make them all, as it were, jump on a bandwagon and say that Jesus is great. 
We saw this incredible miracle, and the response was almost, so what? But for Jesus, it was a place where his power had been experienced, and he enjoyed being there. And it was also a place, of course, where they had showed great devotion to him. As we know, it was there that Mary anointed his head with oil. And she got criticized for doing it. But that's nothing too unusual about that. And uh, but the Savior defended her and commended her there in Bethany. It was, we could almost say, the location where he experienced the action that he appreciated the most. But that lady, Mary, was quite pleased, delighted to do what others might have thought was a complete waste. And she just poured it all out on the Savior. And of course, that's a reminder to us that we should be very careful about saying to someone that they're wasting something. The person that will decide that in the end is the Savior himself. And that priceless heirloom that she had, and people suggest that she had it for financial security for the future because it was a very expensive ointment. They didn't have banks in those days. The only security they had was valuable things. And she was quite prepared there in Bethany to give it all to Jesus. And because she did that, Jesus himself said, that whatever the gospel is preached, that story will be repeated. Almost indicating, if words have any meaning, almost indicating that he would ensure that the story would be repeated wherever the gospel went. And it also means, of course, that until the four gospels were actually written, that this story was repeated wherever the gospel went. But anyway, Bethany meant a lot to Jesus, didn't it? It was a place where he had given life and where even Martha, after her uh, complaint about her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus, that even there, Martha, later on, the one who had previously been cumbered with much service, is merely described as serving. There's a difference between being cumbered with much service and serving. Being cumbered with it means you're thinking about it as you do it. But serving just means serving, just doing it. And Jesus, well, he appreciated it all. And I wonder if, he is, if Luke is saying to us 
and saying to Theophilus, the best way to be a disciple is to be a Bethany disciple. To be like that family that was in Bethany, that just were devoted to Jesus and just couldn't help showing it. It just happened repeatedly. Anything that's said about them, they're they're just showing their devotion to Jesus. Whether it's in a big thing or a small thing, where it's just giving him a meal or pouring up priceless oil on his head, they just showed devotion. And it might be, it's only a suggestion, but it might be that even as they showed their interest to him in Bethany, when he came to leave this world, the last place he wanted to see before he stepped into the other world was Bethany. So anyway, that was it. I wonder what the disciples thought on this trip, this walk out to Bethany. Maybe they said to themselves, this is just a guess, of course, but maybe they said to themselves, Jesus is going to the home he loves best. Well, he was, of course, wasn't he? But the home he loved best is not Bethany. The home he loved best is higher than Bethany, heaven itself. But there is something intriguing about Jesus going from the house he loved best on earth to the one he loves best in heaven. So that was a great privilege of the disciples. I'm sure they never forgot it. What a wonderful walk with Jesus. And I maybe Luke is saying to Theophilus, you can walk with Jesus too. And he'll take you to the places he likes best. He wants you to be a disciple, a Bethany disciple. And Jesus will take you to the places he likes best. And as we think of that, just ask ourselves, where has Jesus taken us recently? Have we had a walk with Jesus? When it happens, surprises happen. To walk through life with the Son of God. What higher privilege can there be? And that was their privilege on this particular day. And we can see what effect it had on them. Then secondly, there's his prayer for the disciples. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Maybe the disciples were saying to one another, and I think it's important to ask that kind of question, 
about anything in life. Well, what's, what's behind this statement? So the disciples, as they were walking out, might have been saying to each other, because I think it's a fairly reasonable thing to suggest they would say, I wonder what Jesus will do here. And we're told what he did. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. He behaved like a priest. This was going to be the final time they would see him. And he's going to give them an enacted parable of how he will spend the future. Of what he will do from then on. Except he won't be doing it on earth. He'll be doing it in heaven. But the results will be seen on earth as well. So he just showed them to their physical eye what his future would involve. And the future that he would be engaged in is to bless them. <laughs> You know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? What does Jesus do all the time? What's he been doing all day today? He has been blessing people. And that's what he does. Constantly. Moment after moment after moment after moment. And the blessing will not stop until he comes back out of heaven. It's going to be this non-stop engagement. Now obviously he said something, but we're not told what he said. Instead we're told what they saw. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. What did they see? Well, they saw the wounds in his hands, didn't they? I mean, that was the last thing they saw. The wounds in his hands. He still got his hands lifted metaphorically in heaven. The one that's looking on them there is the Heavenly Father. The intercession of Jesus. We have to be careful we don't reduce the intercession of Jesus to a couple of prayers offered now and again. Jesus' life his life in heaven is his intercession. His presence there. And the reason why his petitions, and remember he's got a divine mind, and he can present them all in a fraction of a second. The reason why they're all answered it's because of the wounds in his hands. 
How many petitions did Jesus make today? How many has he ever made? How many will he make until he returns? It was intercession. When the high priest went to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he didn't say a word. It was the sacrifice that spoke. And that's what still speaks in heaven now. The Lamb on the throne. He doesn't stand there before the throne begging for anything. He is seated on the place of power. But his power, he has it because of the wounds on his hands. And these disciples, as they're looking up to heaven, saying to themselves, well, there's him on the way to the throne. How can he get there? Because of the wounds in his hand. That's what gives him the right to be there. And it's that which guarantees his intercession is always successful. He cannot be denied anything that was promised to him in the eternal covenant. And it all just keeps coming, flowing, because he's lifted his hands. And he's there as our great high priest. You know, the Gospel of Luke starts with a priest who failed. Zechariah. He's there at the temple and even gets a visit from an angel who gives him an indication that his prayer has been heard. And Zechariah doesn't believe a word of it. Priest who failed, the father of the forerunner, a reminder that we're all sinners. At the end of the gospel, there's a story of a priest who never fails and who never is refused. Our great high priest, our intercessor within the veil, our friend on the throne. And he showed to the disciples what he would be doing. It's good for us to join the gaze of heaven and gaze on the wounded hands and side and feet of the glorified Christ. And then there's parting. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. There in verse 51. And that description, of course, tells us 
he did something himself, and also something was done for him. What he did himself was he parted from them. That was his action, a reminder to us that he's in control. I mean, what's the ultimate power? Gravity. Isn't it? What keeps you and I down here stops us floating off. But gravity had no power over Jesus. He chose the moment and up he went. Didn't move his hands. Still there blessing them. That's what he chose. He's in charge. He had fixed the moment. And now it had happened. But having done that, somebody else must have appeared. Or something else appeared. Because he was carried up into heaven. He started to go up. And then he was conveyed to heaven. And we may wonder, well, what is this conveyance that suddenly appeared? And Luke himself gives us the answer in Acts chapter 1, where he says that a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. The cloud that received him is not one of these things that we see every day in the sky. The cloud that received him was the Shekinah. All these clouds we see, none of them ever came out of heaven. But the cloud that he went into heaven on, it came out from heaven. A bit like what Elijah had when he ascended to glory, the heavenly escort. In a few months' time, we're going to watch a parade through London, or some of us will anyway, of a parade through London when Charles III is crowned. And everybody will be cheering and there'll be all the banners, etc. Happy day. But however wonderful it is, it will be, and we hope it will be wonderful, but it hasn't got a fraction compared to the glory of this occasion when the king of glory went through the gates of heaven and whether or not heaven's got a main street he went down it straight into the royal palace where he's invited and what we've sung about from Psalm 110 sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool and whatever noise will be in London when Charles III is crowned. It's nothing like the celebrations that took place in heaven when Jesus entered in. Who's going to describe it if they could have even seen it? We've no real idea what majesty looks like because every 
item of majesty that we have ever seen. Somebody has made it. But the majesty of heaven is unmade, uncreated. It's glory. And he went inside. And the only way we're going to see it is to get there. But he parted from them. You know, it's intriguing. The Shekinah appeared when he was born. That star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. Here it appears again. Except kind of going from Jerusalem up to heaven. Wonderful sight. What a pot of parting. The extraordinary thing about this parting is no sorrow. There's not a hint, is there? We say this with reverence. There's not a hint that says they're sorry to have seen him gone. Isn't that strange? But why would they be sorry? He's gone to the place where he deserves to be. For which he has said to them, when I go there, I'll prepare a place for you. So they parted. And then there's the pleasure of the disciples. They worshipped him as he ascended. They worshipped him. And of course, he deserved it all, didn't he? What other possible response can we give to Jesus? If we don't worship him, we don't give him anything. It doesn't matter how many adjectives we use. If there's no worship in our hearts, all we've got is words. But they worshipped him, and we can see that their worship, as all worship should be, their worship is spontaneous. Just automatic. He's ascending the risen Christ. His resurrection was marvelous. But if he stays here, he hasn't finished his work. He's got other things to do, and he can't do them by living somewhere in Jerusalem. He has to go to somewhere else for him to do it. And there they see him going and they see that incredible cloud envelop him, and automatically they just worship him. And I suppose that's the key to whether or not we have seen Jesus. Do we worship him? We just bow in our hearts, and say that he is wonderful beyond words. Spontaneous. And they all did it. 
the 11 of them as they're there and they're all sharing this worship. And not one of them is looking to see what the other is doing. They've all got their eyes on Jesus. And of course, it's quite surprising given that he's going away. But it all depends on the knowledge they had of where he's going. And this um, pleasure that they were experiencing, it was kind of sanctifying. Because it's almost a moment of consecration for them. As they look at him going up to heaven, their response is to live for him here on earth. As they saw him going to the throne, they worshipped him. We're also told about them, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Mega joy. That's the word that's used. Next time you hear the word mega, think of the joy of the disciples as they went back to Jerusalem. Again, it was very surprising, wasn't it? He's gone. And they're glad about it. Rejoicing. Not only is it surprising, we could say it's surpassing. What joy is like this? It's not just Luke that's saying it's great joy. The Holy Spirit is saying it. With great joy, they went, they watched them go up. I was reading yesterday on a train, something with Sarah Edwards. I just thought I'd read it. Talking about joy. She says this, the wife of Jonathan Edwards. I was entirely swallowed up in God as my only portion and his honor and glory was the object of my supreme desire and delight. At the same time, I felt a far greater love to the children of God than ever before. I seemed to love them as my own soul. And when I saw them, my heart went out towards them with an inexpressible endearedness and sweetness. I beheld them by faith in their risen and glorified state, with spiritual bodies refashioned after the image of Christ's glorious body, and arrayed in the beauty of heaven. The time when they would be so appeared, the time when they would be so appeared very near, by faith it seemed as if it were present. And then she said this. This was accompanied by a ravishing sense of the unspeakable joys of the upper world. Do we know that? This was accompanied by a ravishing sense of the unspeakable joys 
of the upper world. Something like what these disciples felt as they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They would never see him again until they got to heaven. But the physical absence of Jesus didn't diminish their joy. And they're in the temple blessing God. And the word that's translated for them blessing God is the same word as is used to describe his blessing them. Eulogy. It's almost as if Jesus, while he blessed them, gave a eulogy. And they, when they returned to Jerusalem and went to the temple, they gave eulogies, one after the other, continually in the temple blessing God. It took some courage, of course, to go to the temple, didn't it? And they haven't been seen for six weeks. The authorities have spread the rumor that they have stolen the body and hidden it somewhere. And here they are in the temple, full of great joy, and nobody lays a finger on them. That must have been a very strange sight to see the, the alleged thieves standing there in the temple full of joy because the one they have meant to have hidden. Their joy is great because they have seen them go to heaven. Luke, we'll stop with this, but Luke started off his story in a certain sense with a visit to the temple. When Jesus went there and with his mother, with his mother and with Joseph, and we're told they met two people, Simeon. And he said, let Basically, let me die, because mine eyes have seen your salvation. Don't know if Simeon was waiting for him to arrive in heaven. Who knows? We're not told when Stephen, sorry, when Simeon died. But he said he had seen the sight that nothing in this world was compared to see. He told Mary, a sword shall pierce your soul. But after doing that, he'll be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. And here he is, He's gone there to do all that. And of course, Anna, 
she came into the temple and having seen the baby she went and spoke about redemption and here are these men and they're in the temple blessing God speaking well of him God the redeemer God the light of the world that's Luke I suppose we could say a wonderful end to a wonderful story about a wonderful saviour shall we pray Lord we give you thanks in a real sense that Jesus is not here we give you thanks for where he is at your right hand, a prince and a saviour, highly exalted. His glory is such that if he appeared, the world would not survive. We thank you, Lord, that one day he will appear. And when that day comes, heaven and earth will flee away. Lord, help us to rejoice that he is at your right hand to bless us, that the wounds of Calvary still speak very powerfully, and that his intercession always succeeds. Lord, help us to rejoice the way these disciples rejoiced with great joy that we would worship you and that our souls would be ravished with the joy that comes from the upper world. Lord, help us for your own name's sake. Amen. I will sing Psalm 67 from the Scottish Psalter. Lord bless and pity us. God be merciful and bless us. Sorry, shine upon us with your face that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. We'll sing the psalm. <clears throat> Lord bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face, that the
Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.